There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non-alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the studio, I haven't been in the studio for a while, I'm very excited about this guest. His name is Derek McKenzie. I've got to say I'm fangirling a bit over here. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favourite bands when I was young in my early 20s was Jamiroquai and Derek is the drummer from Jamiroquai, so I can't believe you're actually sitting here in my studio. Yep. Holy shit. <laughs> Derek's also a DJ, so he's out in Australia. He did a gig with Jamiroquai and is doing some DJing gigs yeah. before he heads back. So, Derek, thank you so much for no coming worries. on the show. I'm just so thrilled and chuffed and honoured to have no you. No problem. No problem. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, thank you for having me. 
Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's so awesome. And thank you. So I learned a bit of your story the other day when we we're out at right, yeah, our, yeah. our mutual friend's house. So, but I wouldn't let you tell me too much because like, <laughs> save it for the podcast, save it for the podcast. So, but you've been sober for five years. Is that right? Around yeah, about? five years. Come January, January the thirteenth, it'll be five years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you drinking quite heavily before you stopped? Yes, mm. I was actually. Yeah. How heavily we? we- Basically every day I'd go to the pub and when I was on the road, I would drink mm-hmm. anyway, after gigs. This would be after gigs, not before. And yeah, I could definitely get through a fair few units. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd get through a fair few units. Like I said before, when I wasn't touring, mm-hmm. I'd go to the pub and have a drink there. I'd be like, right, I'm going to go in for one about four o'clock and I wouldn't leave till 11. Mm-hmm. Pub shut time, basically. Were you shit-faced by the time you'd leave? Um, I was pretty inebriated, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But And the pub was like literally at the bottom of the street. Mm-hmm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, admittedly, back in the day, I, wherever I lived, I lived in three places. Uh, pubs were opposite the house. Mm, that's so, handy. Yeah. So that's really handy. Two of the places I lived prior to when I moved back to London, I lived, there were pubs opposite the house. So that didn't help. That kind of encouraged the whole cycle of drinking. And it would be like an everyday thing. Yeah. Wow. Everyday drinking. Wow. So tell us a bit about, we'll get into more of that story and and how big it got or didn't get. But tell us a bit about like where you grew up and your family life and, and when you first started drinking. Um, okay, so I was born in London, in North London. My mum and dad, we lived in Islington, which is, at the time, it wasn't a very nice part of London. I only know that from Monopoly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh-huh. fair enough. So mm-hmm. I lived in the real Islington, mm-hmm. <laughs> Highbury and Islington, but I lived at the Islington end. Mm-hmm. you got Highbury at one end, Islington at the other. I lived at the Islington end, and there's a very famous cinema there called Screen on the Green, and I lived behind that. We mm-hmm. lived behind that. I was born in Finsbury Park. My, then my mum and dad moved to Islington, Screen on the Green. And I lived there till I was seven. It was very racist mm-hmm. as well, because back then it was a very white area. Right, and your parents are from Jamaica? Jamaica, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Parents mm-hmm. from Jamaica. Luckily, my dad just, he worked across the road. My mum was a seamstress, but they were cool because my dad worked for a really cool a boss. Mm-hmm. And my mum worked for also a very cool boss who was uh, Greek. And so she got a good job there just making dresses and stuff. And somebody taught her how to make the dresses and she just learned, you know, which was great. Wow. And then we went to a school in Islington. I was say me, we, me and my sister, but I was just going there on my own at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was quite a racist school. Do you know what I mean? Being the only black boy in the school, I I had quite a, it was quite rough, quite rough. So I had a lot to deal with. So a lot of bullying? uh, Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah. The name calling, da da da, the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? You know, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, I'm not going to say it wasn't the best of times because I actually enjoyed going to school, (laughs) even with all that going on. I still enjoyed going to school, but it wasn't just so much the kids because that stems from later on in life. You find out that, that actually stems from home anyway. Mm-hmm. But the kids were taking the mickey, whatever, calling me names, blah, 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 all that. But also the teachers were 
somewhat racist as well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of, when I'd go to my mum back home and say, mum, the teacher wouldn't answer my question. Even though my hand was up for ages, she wouldn't come. One teacher in particular wouldn't come and help me at all, right, at all. So I'd mm. just be stuck there and then I'd be like, well, I couldn't get it done because you didn't come and help me. Do you know what I mean? I'd be getting in trouble. But like, yeah, but you didn't come and help me. <laughs> Fucking hell. And yeah. what did your mum say? What was My mum was like, well, she's obviously really racist. My mum did go down to deal with it. She obviously denied it. And then, of course, it kind of turned a corner a bit. But I think by the time I'd said it, I'd already gone through the majority of that, that academic year. So it was towards the end that I told my mum. So I dealt with it for so long. Then I went and told me mum. Then she went down the school. Teacher denied it. Then we're on six weeks holidays. So it didn't matter. Then I had a different teacher and, the, and it was completely different. But still dealt with the racism from the kids. Yeah. You know, that was right through till I was about seven. And then I moved to Tottenham. And then going from an all white school to then an all black school mm. <laughs> in Tottenham. <laughs> Just like up okay what's going on this is kind of weird because i think i was going into a school it was going to be the same as the other school Mm -hmm. but it was actually the opposite which was cool do you know what i mean you know i made friends and i'm still friends with people that i went to school with back then to this day wow were you able to make friends in that first school in that all white school Um, did i make friends in that i did i did make friends in that school actually Mm. yeah i got on with everyone i just wanted to be included it's kind of difficult. It was one minute, I'm your best mate. The next minute, I'm not your best mate. It, it was a bit like that. Wow. You know? yeah. yeah. It was a bit a bit like that, calling all sorts of names. I won't go into that now, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can only imagine. You seem to talk about that with still a smile on your face. Yeah, yeah, feel... because I, I'm over it. Yeah. I'm over it. You know what I mean? I'm not bitter. I'm just like, it's not my problem. I am who I am mm. and they are who they are. The way my parents brought me up was to not be that way. So okay. consequently, I just wanted to be everyone's friend. Because my dad had friends who were white and who were cool. So I expected my friends to be white and cool, but they weren't. They were kind of white, but not so cool. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Can I just ask, Derek, what do you think that, or, or did it do anything to your sense of self, like looking back now, uh, yeah, I would say it kind of, I'm not going to say instilled because that's, that would be the wrong word. It started that kind of journey of rejection, mm-hmm. which never came from my parents at all. Cause I never got rejected from my parents at all. My parents are absolutely brilliant and they still are to this day because they grounded me. But through being at school, the rejection from the teacher, the rejection from the my so-called my friends in those young years, it kind of started that whole cycle of rejection. Then, of course, I then moved to Tottenham and it was completely different. It was the opposite. And I found that quite weird. You would almost wouldn't know where you've, like, well, how does it feel when you go from one place of being so rejected yeah. to one where it's just, you're the same you're as like, everyone oh, else? Oh, there is normality in the world. Yeah. That's what, that's what you think. You know, mm. you think, oh, that's weird because in that school, nobody really wanted to know me. And in this school, I've got mates. I've got loads of mates all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Not because they're black. Because it was black and white and Greek and Indian and and it was all just mishmash of the international school is what I call it. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And it, and everybody got on because you had to. 
being brought up in Tottenham was very street. Mm-hmm. It was very street. So it was rough. It was ready. But you stood your ground. Mm-hmm. Nobody took any crap. Everyone defended themselves, whatever. Do you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. the first time I saw proper fights in schools and all that over chewing gum. <laughs> wow. It was rough. Yeah. It was ready. But it made everybody quite tough and not put up with any crap. And I kind of, well, I kind of stayed clear of all that. But I had friends who were super cool. And then I had friends who were, dare I say, were on the other side of the fence. They were cool, but they chose a different road. Crime, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Right, okay, yeah, uh uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? You know, as time went on, I can see how there were some friends who were cool, educational, brainy, blah, blah, blah. And I'd see other friends who kind of went down the other road. Uh, And it kind of opened my eyes to personalities. I still enjoyed those years. And I've still got friends from that school. And then, you know, of course, that was my junior school years. Then I went into senior school. Mm-hmm. And then those people moved in. Some of those people moved into my senior school. So I was from my junior school from the age of seven. I went to school with those people right through till I was like 18. And I still know them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when did you start drinking in amongst I, all this? I started drinking, yeah, about 15 or 16. I started drinking. It basically happened when my mum and dad went away on holiday and me and my sister were left at home to my house. <laughs> they went away for like about a month and so we were left at home, home alone. Wow, they went away for a month? Something like that, yeah. We went away for quite a while. Yeah, we were just left at home. And we had people coming in to look to look after us and stuff like that, but we could take care of ourselves. Wow. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> took, took care of ourselves. And that was the first time I was like kind of partying and woo-hoo, woo-hoo, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And just started drinking and having a really good time doing the music as well. Because I went to music at the time. Because I did my first gig. I was semi-pro at 14. Wow. Yeah, wow. I was semi-pro, drummer at 14, not drinking. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, of course, I got into the whole party mode thing. And then I kind of joined different bands and stuff like that. You right. Know, and started uh, going out, but really raving, going out like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., rolling in at like eight, nine, ten o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and partying, local parties. There's always a party to go to. So mm-hmm. I just go along with my mates. But we had so much fun, mm-hmm. you know. What did the alcohol, what was it doing for you, like in retrospect, like looking back? I think it was making me feel good, mm-hmm. making me feel good. I was just having a good time. I was just mm-hmm. partying, as you do when you're 16, 17, 18. I even smoked back then didn't do drugs what was it doing for me it was making me feel good part of the crew so Mm. to speak and just yeah just making me feel like I was part of the game part of the the gang so to speak yeah do you feel like that sense of fitting in and being part of the gang like talking about your early childhood experiences do you feel like there's a bit of a correlation there? Yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And then being accepted and all that kind of stuff. Whereas before, I wouldn't really think about drinking or anything like that. It was, in my eyes, frowned upon to be drinking, smoking, blah, blah, blah. But of course, as soon as that window opened, I just took advantage of it. Yeah. And there's this sort of sense I find 
that if someone felt a bit rejected in their early childhood years or in childhood and then they drink and they suddenly feel accepted and part of something, it's like something just clicks in their brain and it's like, oh, this is my answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what, there was that as well. And then it then became like an every week thing. Yeah, right. Did mum and dad know? Because I, I, oh, they knew that I was going out because they came back from holiday. Oh, what did you do? Oh, I went to a few parties, mum, that kind of thing. Had a few drinks. Da, da, da. But they weren't expecting me to be, well, they just knew that I was would be responsible. And they knew I was at an age where I could drink. My sister was going out and stuff with her mates and stuff. She was being responsible while I was going out. I was being responsible. My sister knew where I was because she was the adult because she's two years older than me. But she knew where I was going. She, where are you going? I'm like, oh, I'm going to a party in Tottenham. And I just say the name of the road and she'd know where I was going. Right. Mm-hmm. That was a good thing. It was, it was always local. Wherever we went was always local. Or we'd just stay at my mate's house and just have a drink, stay there till, I don't know, five, six in the morning. Wow. When we were talking the other day, you were saying how when you were drinking, you would drink all night, like you'd be up, up till stumps. So it's almost like that started way oh, back. Oh, way back. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. That's where the stamina for drinking came mm. from. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Stamina for drinking would come from then starting at like 10 at night and then just drinking right through till the next day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So as we know, like just being in the music industry, the more that we immerse ourselves within that scene, often along with that comes the, yeah. the drinking because it's expected. Did yeah. you find that the kind of two went hand in hand as you joined yeah. different bands? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. When you join a band or if you're in any kind of music scene, there is that, ten- it does tend to come with it, basically. It does go hand in hand because you drink after a gig to have the come down from the adrenaline so to speak, of of playing for an hour and a half, two hours or whatever. And there'd be like no end point. Because once you've started, of course, where you're at doesn't close at 11. It shuts at four, five, six in the morning. You just drink. Because once my gear was all packed down, that was it. I'm like, I'm on it now. Do you know what I mean? You know, (laughs) It's like work's finished. Yeah, work's finished. I'm on it now. And that's my early years when I used to pack down my stuff. But then, of course, I got responsible and then I bought a car. So then the drinking had to kind of stop. Still had a couple of pints or a couple of drinks and stuff. But then I'd drive myself home. Unacceptable, but I did it. Or I'd get driven, but I'd still drink. I'd feel good after the drink. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just felt like it was something that I had to do. It then became habitual. Yeah. After having, doing the show, having a drink, do the show, having a drink, whether it's a small show, whether it was a big show, medium show, it doesn't matter what show it was. I'd have to have a drink afterwards because the body felt as if it needed it. Yeah. It's like when you have dinner and you've got to have desserts after or a coffee, the body feels, oh, we've got to have a sweet after savoury. Yeah. Do a gig, have mm-hmm. a drink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then obviously there's the problem when you start to play a lot and then yeah. there's more and more of it. Tell us about when Jamiroquai kind of took off and getting right. started in that band and then that obviously got massive. Did that increase the drinking? Like what happened there? Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. some funny stories there. Yeah, the drinking did increase at that point because it was more accessible. I'd never heard of a rider. 
So we'd get a rider after a gig. Can I just jump in? I heard someone ask Ash this the other day on a podcast he was on and he didn't answer the question properly, but someone said, what is a rider? And so the rider is what's provided by the venue. It's yeah, like a or comp- the promoter. Yeah, or the promoter. For the, for the band. It's their needs. Their so needs. Their needs and like wants. Yes. You know, from blue M&Ms to sausage rolls, yeah. the ham sandwiches, peanuts, crisps, beers, wines, vodka, you know, anything, you know, anything. You put, you just, you write your list of the rider and, you, and it should be there. Yeah. And the bigger you get as a musician or band, the more extensive usually and quite sometimes ridiculous the yeah, rider just, Yeah, hence get. blue M&Ms. <laughs> That's right. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, well, why would, who would want blue M&Ms? Correct, yeah. But, yeah, you'd get your, your rider, which always included some sort of alcoholic beverage. Mm-hmm. Did everyone – I don't know if you're allowed to answer this or not. Did everyone in the band drink? Yeah, we all drunk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we all drunk. We all liked to drink after the gig, some more than others. Me being more. <laughs> you're right. Me being the more. You know, I hold my hands up to that. Because a lot of the guys didn't – they drunk, but they everything was within reason. And I kind of went a little bit over the top. Ah, uh, so you were a bit more yeah. edgy one. How did the band get together? How did you end up in that band? I ended up in the band through, I had to do an audition through, I was in another band called Urban Species. Then I got a call from the publisher. They rang me up at home and just said, um, there's this band called Jamiroquai, they need a new drummer. Are you up for doing the gig? And I'd never heard of the band. So I said, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a go. Why not? When I went along and, and did the audition, I had two auditions and by God's grace, I got the gig. And that's how I ended up in the band in 1994. Well, so were they already pretty big? Oh, they were massive back oh, then. They were already, already massive because they did Emergency on Planet Earth. Right. So mm. I joined in Space Cowboy. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started recording with the band like the following week. Mm-hmm. So did anyone in the band notice that you or ever pull you up on the amount that you were drinking or was no, it? No, that wasn't yeah. until much, much later. Mm-hmm. I mean, years down the line, I'm talking years down the line here. Because mm-hmm. we all liked to drink and just that my stamina for drinking was quite, my tolerance for drinking was quite high. So I would, I, let's put it this, and I'm only speaking for myself. I'm not talking about the rest of the band here. Mm-hmm. I'll be very specific about that. Mm-hmm. Talking for, speaking for myself. I would do the gig. I never drank before a gig, never, mm-hmm. never drank before a gig. I would then do the gig, two hours long, two and a half hours, whatever it was. I'd then come off, we'd do an encore, but during that encore, I'd get a drink, mm-hmm. yeah, which mm-hmm. would be vodka orange juice, it was back then, that's what I drank back then. And then I'd go and do the encore and I would have my drink next to me on my riser, drum riser, and it would be a strong drink because mm-hmm. it would be in a pint glass. People would want to come and take a sip of my drink. And I would say to them, don't take a sip of that drink. Why would they want to take a sip of your drink? I don't know. They knew it was alcohol. <laughs> like people in the band? Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So, all right. So they knew that you've got the booze there. They're coming. They want to come up and steal it. Not everyone, but, you yeah. know, just a couple of times. Take a drink because they wouldn't remember to go and get themselves a drink. But I would. I'd rush to the dressing room, get myself a drink, come back, go on stage. Yeah. And you're feeling a bit protective over it too. <laughs> yeah. You're like, fuck yeah. off. Yeah. It's my bloody drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I 
Okay. So, all right. So I can only imagine the riders, the, the huge shows, like fucking amazing, yeah. amazing experiences. And then they come down afterwards. And so kind of yeah. keeping that adrenaline going, that, that dopamine yeah, yeah, flowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you oh. just keep drinking. And the thing is, and then what I would do is then it got to the point where I would, I'd then drink just whatever was left just to get the buzz. And keep it going. Yeah. yeah. When did you start to think, mm, this isn't so great? It wasn't till like maybe 2000, 2005 maybe. And what was happening? The band had been successful and then I got to a relationship, got married, had kids and stuff. And it was going well. It was really going well. And then it started to not go so well. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So the drinking wasn't so bad leading up to that. It was when it started to not go so well that I started to drink more. Mm-hmm. And that was when I moved into the first of the two houses, which was opposite pubs. To consequently be like, right, okay, do you know what? I'm not really happy here. I'm going to go and have a drink. And that would be my excuse. I'm bored. I don't know, whatever. And I just go and go to the pub and have a drink but I'd go in as soon as the pub opened and just stay there just stay there it's wife, right at home I'd be like whatever wife and kids are at home wife kids at home I've got my mobile if you want something send me a message <laughs> so right. not really not the best way to be mm-hmm. as a husband so there was other other factors involved as well which I, I won't go into now but there was other factors involved but from a whole drinking point of view there were factors involved which kind of led me to drink more. Yeah. And what was it doing for you at that point? The, alcohol? the drink? Mm. It was helping me to not deal with the situations that were in the background, basically. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Points, things that I should have dealt with way back then, I didn't deal with. Why do you think you didn't deal with it? it couldn't be bothered with the hassle. Do you know, I just couldn't be bothered with the hassle. Uh, plus, my kids were small. I didn't want to leave my kids. I didn't want to leave my wife, to be mm. honest. And I wanted to make it work, basically. I wanted to make it work. So rather than deal with it head on, or I, I did try a couple of times to deal with it head on, head on, it just didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many people end up in that situation where yeah. rather than face something they just want to avoid it and use the drinking yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to escape that feeling. To kind of numb the pain. Kind of, not, not even the pain. It was just to not deal with it. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. You know, it's just, I'm going to be honest. I didn't want to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just thought by going out and getting it a bit off my mind for a few hours, I then wouldn't have to deal with it when I come in. I would go to bed. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's where so many people end up in the pickle though, Derek. Yeah. And so many people will be listening and probably getting a lot out of this because they'll identify that in themselves or perhaps they're going through that. Yeah. Sometimes we just can't face, right? Yeah. Yeah. Either can't face it or you don't want to face it. Mm. Really. The reality is you've got responsibilities. You need to face up to those responsibilities. I had financial problems as Mm. well. They were mounting as well. It was causing me a lot of stress. My ex-wife did, she did her best to support at the time. She's a good mum, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't quite enough, mm-hmm. to be honest, which then kind of sent me into 
more of a spiral, but it could also have been, because I'm to blame as well, I didn't communicate enough. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I just didn't communicate enough in order. And the only, my only form of communication was to go and have a drink. Is it that you didn't have the tools? You didn't know how to communicate? I just didn't I just didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to what was the best way to communicate. And I was basically the breadwinner mm-hmm. of the house. Mm-hmm. Cause a blesser, she was looking after the kids and everything. Do you know what I mean? And I was the breadwinner of the house. And then there came a point where we didn't work for a really long time. And what happened was because we didn't work for a really long time there wasn't much of an income coming in but I still had this house to run mm-hmm. which is quite a big house and mm-hmm. cars and da 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 and all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. I you know I've had the big house I've had the cars and I've had all that and and then I had to sell the house but the house took three years to sell it took me forever and that really put me into a massive spiral more drinking and then just just getting really drunk, coming in late, and all that, and just not dealing with it, just yeah. not just not dealing with it properly, and not talking to anyone. That was the other thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't speak to anyone. I just oh. dealt with it all on my own. I was dealing with all the paperwork, dealing with all this kind of stuff. All I'd see was just mounting piles of paperwork. <laughs> oh, how stressful! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And my way of dealing with it was to drink. That avoidant behaviour that we have. Oh gosh, and it just. Because we just don't want to face things. We just don't want to face. Th- I mean, I'm sure you've kind of had those moments sure. as well. Do you know what totally. I mean? You know. But I think it was it was the stress of that whole thing that really kind of put me in this spiral of drinking, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. and drinking more and more and spending longer in the pub and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it'd just be evening sessions. Because my pub across the road at that time opened at six, shut at eleven. Then. <laughs> And then when we moved again, eventually sold the house, moved again, built another pub and moved opposite another pub. That pub opened at 12, shut at three, opened again at six, shut at 11. Ooh. <laughs> Shit. The rest is history. And I would do that unless I was on the road. But even when I was on the road, I was drinking. Yeah, because it's well and truly ingrained by oh, now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was mm-hmm. drinking loads on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. before a gig, though. Always after a gig. And I'd be up all night. Drinking on your own or with people? Were they partying? With people. I'd go to a club and stuff. Uh, I wouldn't get up to no rubbish. It would just be just drinking and just listening to music and and just drinking. Mm -hmm. Just to have that kind of drinking atmosphere. And then, and I was known as the the sociable one because I'd I'd just get to know loads of people. Because I was very sociable. Oh, how are you doing? What are you doing now? Going out, whatever. I'm like, oh yeah, cool, I'll go along. And I'd just go along tonight club or get to know people get to know the club owners all that kind of stuff and just be drinking and that's what I did mm. kind of like kind of day in day out after a gig do you feel like being in such a famous band as well people would sort of oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. you learn as you go along though <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah you learn as you go along though but yeah it was part of being in the band that was one side of it because everybody kind of did their thing everybody in the band just did their thing some people went to bed some people had a drink and then go to the hotel bar. I'd go out. I'd yeah. go out, club and roll in at like five in the morning, six in the morning, that kind of thing, drinking all night, whatever. So when did you go, okay, enough's enough? So 
okay, we are now quite a few years on. <laughs> I'm divorced. I'm now living in Poland. Oh. Yeah, because I moved to Poland. Wow. With a ex-girlfriend. And even at that time, I was still drinking. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I was still in depression and not very well, basically. Mm-hmm. Overweight, blah, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, drinking loads. And I got to a point in my life whilst I was in Poland with the help of my sister who called me constantly. She actually said to me, she goes, Derek, because she's a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. My sister's a Christian. She goes, you need to let the Lord into your life. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah, 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 whatever. I'm, yeah, I'm, oh, I don't know, you know. But, you know, the more she kept talking about it, the more I thought, well, you know what? This might be the way out. Because you wanted a way out? Oh, gosh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I, had, I was into habitual drinking. Yeah. So you knew it was a problem, like you knew you wanted to change. Did you try to change before that? Yeah, yeah. Didn't work though. What would you try? Not much. Like just tried, like today's the day, I'm not going to drink, that kind of thing. And then Mm -hmm. by the afternoon, I'll be drinking again. You know, it's just, look, I'm not going to lie. I'm very honest about Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Right, tomorrow I'm not going to drink. I'm done. I'm going to quit drinking for a week. Three o'clock the next day, I'm back on it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, classic. (laughs) Yeah. So... Habitual drinking, basically. It was just a habit. It just Mm -hmm. became a habit. And so my sister said, right, you need to come back to England. That's what she said to me. Mm -hmm. And she was the first person to say it. The second person to say it was my dad. You need to come back to England. Because they could see what was happening, right? They could see what was happening. And the last person to say it to me, and I'll never forget this, was Jay. Mm -hmm. Jay said to me, he goes, Derek, let me give you a word of advice come back come back to England yeah you're divorced going for it with your kids and all that kind of stuff because I was going through a bit of a rough time with the kids and stuff and the ex-wife and all that but he said your kids will come back to you don't worry about that they'll come back to you but come back to England this is where you're based this is where you're based don't be out there because you're on your own those were his words well that's what he said to me and that's the singer. Yeah. Which Jane, yeah. 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 So people come listening. back. Yeah. He sat outside of his house, sat on his doorstep. And, and those were his words. So not only did I hear it, not once, not twice, I heard it three times, the same message three times. And of course I was, I had to go back. I had to go back to, to Poland. Uh, and during this time on my, when I went back, I actually gave my life to Christ. Whilst I was in Poland. Well, where? Like at a church or at a... No, no. I was just uh, in uh, where I was living. I just decided. I was reading the Bible. My sister was sending me verses. And I was reading these verses and just thinking, this makes quite a lot of sense to me. Mm. Yeah. This actually makes a lot of sense. Of course, I was still drinking. But I kind of found a sense of peace when I was reading these verses that my sister was sending. And then I just decided, right, I'm going to give my life to Christ and and just start to change my life. It was still struggling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Still struggling with the drink. But I read my Bible every day, started reading my Bible every day and getting more and more encouraged to change my path. But I also knew that I had to get out of that situation that I was in over there 
and I managed to get out of it, which was amazing. And it was a big, massive weight off my shoulders. So now I'm back home, back in the UK, and still reading my Bible, but not fully into it. Do you know what I mean? But still drinking. Even when I got back, I was going down the pub to drink and still doing that kind of four o'clock till 11 o'clock sessions kind of thing. Going into town, meeting mates, still getting drunk and all that. And then I was single as well. So I could do whatever I like. But not like in that way. But I could, I was think, right, I could drink to my heart's content. Just mm-hmm. nobody's looking at me or whatever. Mm. But what I didn't know, my parents were keeping a, a right eye on me. But, you know, I think you're drinking just a little bit too much. <laughs> Maybe you might want to rein it in a bit. But mm. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But what I'd do, I'd go down the pub. This is when I knew it became a real problem. I'd go down the pub, I'd come in at 11, drink more, been drinking from like four o'clock till 11, yeah. come in and then drink like another two bottles of wine. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You must have been in pain, like something was going on for yeah, you. Yeah, I was, I just wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't happy, basically. But still reading my Bible, then I thought something's got to change here. Anyway, I decided to write, right, I'm going to start keeping fit. So I got a trainer, keeping fit, going to the gym and stuff like that. That helped, but I was still drinking. I'd go to the gym hungover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, what's the point in that? Mm-hmm. Waste of money and all that. But I still went, still read my Bible. And then it got to the point, what I then started doing was reading my Bible before I went to the gym, do the session, and then carry on with my day. When you say you're reading the Bible, are you like start to finish or are you just picking a spot, a random no, no, spot? I, I, I had an app which basically gave you a verse or chapter to read oh, every to day. read. So oh, I'd read that every day. Mm-hmm. And then there'd be a bit of a study, Bible study, and then go to the gym. But I'd feel good. But I'd be hungover. That's the problem. That's where I'm like... Gosh, I'm wondering why I'm not, and I was overweight as well. Blood pressure was up, all that kind of stuff. I wasn't very well. Health-wise, I then got into the cycle of being healthy in the mornings, not healthy in the evenings. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd want to drink in the evening. I was actually enjoying the drinking, to be honest, but I wasn't enjoying the drink because I knew it wasn't good for me, basically. I then thought, I really need to curb this. And... Five years ago, I met my now girlfriend, Joe, who I met at my dad's barbecue, right? And I was still drinking then, still drinking then. I was on tour, and I'd go back a bit further. I was on tour, I'd booked myself to come to Australia, because it's something that I always wanted to do. Booked myself to come to Australia and just be here for a holiday. You know, not work. Because mm-hmm. every time I came here, I was working. Mm-hmm. I thought, right, I'm going to come here and, and just not work. A couple of months after I booked it, I then met my now girlfriend. And we got together. We met in the July or August. And we were calling each other and, and kind of getting to know each other and everything. But I was still drinking. Do you was know she I mean? drinking? Yeah, she was drink drinking. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we go for that honeymoon period. Blah, blah, blah. Really nice. Having a drink. Having a really good time everything and then I would go out and I would 
find myself calling her at like one in the morning. But she'd pick the phone up. And then mm. I'd speak to her till like three and come back home still drinking. And she'd be in bed listening to my nonsense. <laughs> Bless her. She put up with it. Anyway, I'm going to Australia and I was here for 17 days and 14 of those 17 days was spent off my mind. Boozing, just boozing, boozing, boozing. Like I left on Christmas Day and I got on the plane, I was boozing. I got off the plane. I thought, right, I'm just going to take a bit of a break from the boozing. Called my mates, most probably I shouldn't have done. I called my mates once I, they were like, right, going to meet you in half an hour. Where do you want to go? I was like, oh, the place where we went to the last time. They said it where it was. Went there. And as soon as they turned up, it was cocktails, vodka, and it just started. And that was the day I landed in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I was there for 17 days and I drank for 14 days straight. Oh, you must have felt like shit when you're at home. The last three days, I felt awful. Mm. Really, really bad. But I was bruising really heavily. Mental health, how was that? That's probably not in the best place, Mm. I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. Not in the best place. And I think that's what another reason why, because I actually came back from, in fact, I came here, Brisbane. I landed in Sydney, spent a lot of time there. Then I came to Brisbane to see my friend, hung out with them for a bit. We went out on a boozy night out. Then I went to Brisbane, Mm -hmm. had a massive boozy night out with another friend, Mm -hmm. right? And... Out all night, got back the next day. I actually took a taxi there, took a taxi back, left, went back to where I was, my base. Then when I got back from there, I was like, right, I need to take some time off, off drinking. So that was the last kind of few days. Did a couple of days in Sydney and then got on the plane, came home, met my girlfriend, met Joe, And I said to her, I'm going to stop drinking tomorrow. Because she met me at the airport, right? And I said, I hadn't seen her for a while. And so I said, this is going to be my last night of wine or whatever we're going to drink. I said, I'm not going to drink after this. She said, all right, cool. And so we had a meal, had my drink. And I think we only had like one bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. One bottle of wine. Went to bed, woke up the next morning. And I said, I'm not drinking anymore. And she said, okay she couldn't you know she was never here she was like I could take it or leave it that was her mental thing you know what I mean she was like I could take it or leave I don't really need it and so she dropped me off back home I then went to see my friend said to my friend who's also a boozer I said I stopped drinking today he went shut up you have not stopped drinking there's absolutely no way you stopped drinking I went yeah he goes I have a drink, have a drink. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not drinking, not drinking, absolutely not drinking. So he went, all right, cool. And I was with him like all day and I didn't touch a drop of drink. Not at all tempted? It wasn't even tempted. I said, I'm not drinking because I want to go through the day and see what it's like not to have a drink, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. So I left there, went home and I said, I'm not going to drink for a month. That's what I said I was going to do. I'm not going to drink for a month. Anyway, so I did from the 14th of January to the 14th of February, no booze. And I felt really good. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, I'm going to do till the 14th. I'm going to do till my birthday, which is like the end of March, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So I just carried on. And that was 
for that was well come january it's going to be five years what happened at the end of the month the end of the first month yeah i felt really good Mm. i felt really good and i felt like my mind was open and more clear i could actually operate Mm -hmm. i could wake up in the morning and not think oh my gosh i really feel like poo (laughs) you can say shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like poo. And then with that came the more getting closer to God mm-hmm. in that time right. as well. So going back to when I stopped, four days after I stopped, Joe, my girlfriend said, she goes, I'm not going to drink either. Because she'd gone out and then she came and met me. She'd had a couple of drinks and then she was like, she goes, I feel awful. Do you know what I mean? You know, maybe she's had a bad bottle of wine or something. Mm. But she said, oh, I'm just going to stop as well. So I stopped on one day. And then four days later, she stopped. And we both haven't stopped. We both haven't uh, had a drink since. I felt really good after that month. Amazing. Yeah. I could connect with my children because I kind of felt disconnected from my kids. I actually got to the point where I couldn't actually talk to my kids unless I'd had a drink. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's how bad it got. My girlfriend now, Joe, bless her, she'd had a rough time before with her ex, God rest his soul, because he's passed now. And I didn't want her to think that she was picking up another boozy boyfriend. So that was another reason for me to stop, to knock it on the head, basically. And also my parents, they were worried. My kids were obviously, well, my daughter, because my oldest daughter, she was worried. Because she was with me when I went through all the crap. Through all of it, my daughter was with me. With the divorce, she was there. She knew all about it. When I was in Poland, she was going through crap. I was going through crap. We'd call each other. <laughs> like that. Mm. So my daughter was there. So when I said to my daughter, oh, I've stopped drinking. She was like, oh, that's good. But she knows me as a boozer. Mm-hmm. So when I went through this cycle of not drinking, she was like, wow, that's really, really good. So I said, oh, I've done six months of drinking. She's like, oh my gosh, that's really good, Dad. Wow, that's amazing. Talk to me a bit about that part where you get to the end of the month because lots of people, like I take people through six-week challenges of not drinking and then some people get to the end of that month and have that epiphany like you did, like I just feel so clear. Why would I go back? Those people that get to the end of a time like that and they're unsure, what would you say? Stay on the road. (laughs) stay on the road of having a clear mind when I got to the end of that four week period I just felt really good I felt really good and I also felt as if I'd achieved something and then I thought if I can do this four weeks I can most probably do another four weeks but I would have to find something to occupy my time do you see what I mean yeah that's important yeah and what it was was the Lord. Oh, that occupied your time? Yeah. What, lots of reading the Bible? Lots of reading the Bible, exercising, and then getting into my music. I got more into my music. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'm going to get back into writing. I'm going to get back into doing what I like to do mm-hmm. musically. So that took me away, took my mind off all that. It's really interesting. So we're on same, same, but different. So I've 
talk more about leaning into spirituality, which yeah. is the same, 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 but different. And like, I think spirituality is so important, whether that's yeah, yeah. God or meditation yeah. or however that looks for you. And then creativity is important, obviously moving the body and yeah, yeah. But filling that space yeah. with something else and something else that's bigger yeah. than the yeah, alcohol. Yeah. And spirituality is such a big part. Like in AA, it's right. And that look, admittedly, that can turn some people off AA right, because yeah, they don't sure. like yeah, yeah, the God sure, talk. Yeah. It's just each to their own there. Right, exactly. Exactly. I yeah. found I mean, during that time, because I got been I've been baptized and everything. So three years ago I got baptized. So even though five years I stopped drinking, two years into my non drinking, I thought because going to church all this time as well, my pastor at church. I started to do individual sessions with him. Mm-hmm. So I do Bible study with him. So we'd read a chapter of a Bible. We'd, lead, we'd read but verses. So it would be like a, quite an in-depth study of the Bible. And it's every Tuesday between one and two, I'd go. And no matter what was going on, I'd go. So it's almost like a spiritual coach. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he was showing me a different way to live my life in a really good, peaceful, positive way, leaning on God to guide me as opposed to me doing things on my own, off my own back, through believing that this is just me personally. I'm not mm. saying that people should do it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying this is what helped me to be the person that I am today. And consequently, I ended up getting baptized three years ago which you can actually see me getting baptized on YouTube. Oh, really? Because it's because it's filmed. Yeah, it's filmed on YouTube. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's really helped me to stay focused on not drinking, but just having a clear mind, mm-hmm. and then being able to encourage people to quit drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. To put it to put it in an obvious way, I think I just found that having that strength guidance reading god's word really helped me to focus on life more than drink yeah and through having that guidance it's helped me to focus on my children mm-hmm. and having an amazing relationship with all of my children with work as well with the people that i work with my parents because I now actually live with my parents because they're elderly now. So I live with my parents. So I support them, wow. which is great. So I'm really happy to be, even though my age and I'm still living at home, I'm like, yeah, because my mum and dad brought me up. So I'm helping them. Do you yeah, know it's being I mean? serviced. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And they love it. They yeah. don't get in my way. You know, I don't, I don't get in their way. We don't argue nothing. It's really cool. It's nice mm. and relaxed. My parents are the best parents in the world. They're just like super rock and roll. Super relaxed, chilled out. They're both retired. If they need something, Derek, can you do, 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 yep, fine, no problem. I do it. I work from home. So I'm there. When I'm not there, my sister's 10 minutes down the road. She's also a Christian as well. My mum's a Christian. So it's a very Christian family. So we all kind of, we're all unified. (laughs) Right. Having the Lord in my life has really helped me to just stop that boozing and just get on the right path. And... It's the best thing that I've done, but stopping boozing mm. is an absolute winner. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was destroying winner. me. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It was destroying me. It was yeah. really bad. 
Yeah. At one point, I openly say at one point I could do a bottle and a half of vodka on my own litre. Fuck. That's huge, isn't yeah. it? Wow. And do wine mm-hmm. after that. Wow. Yeah, that is the path for serious destruction. Yeah, yeah. 100%. yeah. yeah it was a yeah. really bad road. Yeah. It was a really, and I speak openly about it because I just want people to know that it's hard to get off of that road. I'm not going to lie. But when you're off of it, it's great. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. when you're off that yeah. road. When yeah. you're on the right road and you're over the drink and you don't need drink in your life. Because a lot of my friends, you know, remember I'm in rock and roll mm. and they go, then you even feel like it. I'm like, no, nah, I don't miss it. I don't think they get it. Well, they're mm. not going to get it because they drink. Mm. So when I'm out with, with the band members, they're getting on it. Do, 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 mm-hmm. do, 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 whatever and I'm just I'll have a Coca-Cola or I'll have a still water but mm-hmm. I still I still get involved mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm just getting involved without the drink so I have a laugh and have fun I'm still that fun person I'm just that fun person without the drink which is what they've noticed as well yeah, you know I mean? yeah. you're still that fun person Darius. I still buy a round even mm-hmm. though I'm having water I still buy a round I'm like I'm like, well, why wouldn't I buy a round? I'm like, I'm out with the lads. I'll buy you a drink. Yeah, that's great. You yeah. Know, just mm-hmm. try and keep it real, keep it normal. I'm just not drinking. But it doesn't change me. I'm not going to be like, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't drink. Why would I say that to anyone? I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't preach that. I'm doing what, what's good for me. You do what's good for you at the right time. Just try not to let it destroy you. Hundred mm, percent. Did you ever have times where it, you were on the edge of maybe going back, or you found it hard? Once I've stopped, I've stopped. That's it. But I'm quite strong-willed. Mm, mm. <laughs> the only thing I can't stop is sweets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Sweets. Oh my gosh. Oh god. Sweets. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Oh. Sweets. Amazing. Yeah, Derek, that's so beautiful. And for those people that are feeling the resistance towards the spirituality talk, I think stay open. And like you said, this is your journey and it's your story and it's what worked for you. It's what got you off. And for different people, it's different. It's and, different yeah. But I really do believe in some form of spirituality. For sure. Something like tuning into something bigger and larger than ourselves to lean into. I think it's important. So whether, the, like I say, God, the God in you, however yeah. that looks. It's just what works for you, I suppose, isn't yeah. it, really? Yeah. For you, like you say, you got into your spirituality, but it helped you to focus on something, like you say, bigger than alcohol. Got you on the right road. Yeah, 100%. I felt I needed that too. Yeah, 100%. likewise. Yeah, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. I really needed it, to yeah. be honest. I'm not going to lie. I'm thankful to people like my mum, my dad, my sister. Jay, they sent me that message to come back home and to basically just get myself straight. My sister really encouraged me. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She really, she really saved me, to be honest. My sister and my dad. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And I've got my friends, like, you know, Sinem, who's amazing. And then I have another friend of mine who lives in New York who... Never left, always called. What are you doing? You're right. Because she lives in New York, so it's five hour difference. She'd be calling me at like, so at my 3 a.m., she'd be calling me at like 10. What are you doing? I'm like, 
bit off my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get yourself together. We need those people. Yeah, those, yeah, yeah. those people that our cheerleaders that, yeah, are, bar- yeah. that are barracking for us. Yeah, yeah. Looking back at yourself in that condition, mm-hmm. what happens to your heart? How do you feel about in a those? spiritual way or health way? <laughs> Both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Physically, my heart. Luckily, I have a strong heart. Physically, the doctor told me that. <laughs> Emotionally. Emotionally. <laughs> Like looking back, how do you feel? Sad. Mm. I was sad that I put myself emotionally through so much pain, hurt, and then kept it to myself. Whereas I should have spoken to someone about it. Apart from mm. just being the bloke, you know. Mm-hmm. I could do this on my own, duh, 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 all that. Yeah. No. You need to speak to someone about it because... If you're on that road and you're emotionally suffering, mentally suffering, you must speak to someone. And that was the thing. When I started to speak to my dad, my sister about it, they immediately helped. Yeah. Immediately helped. Even when I spoke to Joe, my girlfriend, about it, she immediately helped. Isn't that important? Like mm. if people are listening and you're suffering or you're stuck, yeah. it's just reach so out. important to reach out. You yeah. must reach out. Don't stay at home and especially don't stay at home and drink. That's the world's worst. Just reach out to someone and just try and fathom out what the problem is. Mm. Find the source of it. Yeah. 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 Just try and. I know it's hard to do it on your own. It is hard. For me, it was like we go back to the 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 first part of the of the conversation, the rejection. Mm-hmm. And that's what kicked it off for me. It's always the way, isn't it? So yeah. it's core wounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that because that, I think that will hit the hearts of a lot of people. Looking forward, mm-hmm. looking forward, what happens to your heart emotionally? How do you feel about <laughs> your future and where you are? I'm very happy. I'm very happy about my future. I'm healthy. I'm happy I have my family. My kids are great. I have a wonderful girlfriend. I've got great friends, amazing friends. I play in a great band. I have a great musical family. I'm very, very happy. And I'm just generally a happy person. You are. are, (laughs) I'm just generally a happy person. So I want to be that person. It's not so much the, of course, we all need money and we all want to be successful and blah, 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 blah. We need that, right? Do you know what I mean? We want that rather. We want that. But the emotional success Mm. is what's more important the happiness in your heart the happiness in your mind the being satisfied in your mind the being satisfied in your heart even with nothing you can still be happy oh my god that is the true definition of success wouldn't you say like where you sit emotionally how Mm. your heart feels and i also think that a true measure of success is the quality of your relationships yeah yeah Absolutely. And it sounds like you're very successful. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I try and make them all work. It's about me. It's about the people around me being happy and then seeing me happy also. And then we can all be happy. Oh. sound like a a real hippie now, didn't I? You're in Byron Bay now, mate. (laughs) (laughs) It's all rubbing off. You're not in London now. (laughs) 
Oh, Derek, that's so beautiful. And and finally, if you could go back and speak to, you know, little seven-year-old Derek, what would you say to him if you could have that time with him? I would just say, don't worry, son. Everything's going to be okay. You'll find a way. Yeah, it's beautiful. You'll mm. find a way. You'll Fuck. find a way. Imagine... If he had have known what was laid out in front of him, this amazing journey that you've been on, wow. Yeah, find a way. Yeah. And the help, I'm always there. Interesting though about the help because I wonder if that little boy had have asked for help, you had have gone to mum sooner. If You know, yeah. you said things turned a bit of a corner when you right. did go to mum. Yeah. But anyway. So that course, that those couple of months of being at school back then, had a long-lasting effect. And then when I listen to other people's stories, not about drink or whatever, just, just whatever sort of trauma they've had, I always say, where do you think it stems from? Mm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, yeah. Because there's always, you know, oh, I'm really fed up. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but where does that come from? It comes from somewhere. What's making you feel that way? Mm. So you try and get people to go back. 100%. Like what you've just done with me, with my mm. seven-year-old self. Yeah. So it's a, I'm happy. I'm extremely happy. Yeah. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm Absolutely. extremely happy. Yeah. I'm very, very happy. I've, I live a wonderful life. God is in my life. My family are great. I'm healthy. My mum and dad is healthy. My girlfriend's great. My kids are brilliant. I have wonderful friends again. And I play in a band which is extremely successful and music that I love. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. It's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, any regrets? Regrets? No, because I think I was meant to go down this road to yes. be here speaking to you right now about this because if I hadn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yes. Well, I'm very grateful then. <laughs> so no, no regrets. Mm. I think I could have handled some things a bit differently, to yeah. be perfectly honest, and I hold my hands up to that. In a big way, I hold my hands up. So, yeah, for those things, I, yeah, some things I regret, but it's it's life. But like I say, I wouldn't be here now talking to you about it. Yeah, and actually, okay, this is a final question. Sorry. The best thing about being sober? Happiness. Hey. <laughs> yes. Happiness. Yeah. Yeah, happiness. And you could do what you want to do when you feel like it without having to struggle. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Amazing. Derek McKenzie. Oh my God. I can't believe you're sitting on my couch. This hey. is fucking awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank your time. You. Thank you so much. Thank um, you for having me, yeah. you know, and it's a, it's a real pleasure to talk about this. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your story with right. these listeners. And yeah, it's amazing. It's right. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.